the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into hour two. Let me give off the phone, give out the phone number 602-508-0960-602-508960. Talking about the, um, the admission from the Department of the Treasury as well as the Directorate of National Intelligence that claims the, uh, the virus, uh, that stalked our country, uh, and the efforts and everything that became the downwash from it did in fact come from the Wuhan Virology Lab and not a Chinese wet market. Those who said it came from the Virology Lab were called racists. They were called flat earthers. They were called science deniers. They were called conspiracy theorists. They were called anti-Asian bigots. Uh, when uh, Here's a nice headline from the Washington Post dated early on. February 17th, 2020, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. What was the fringe theory? I'll just give you the first sentence of the Washington Post article. You know, the paper that claims democracy dies in darkness. Senator Tom Cotton, our Arkansas repeated a fringe theory suggesting that the ongoing spread of coronavirus is connected to research in the disease-ravaged epicenter of Wuhan, China. The best column on this, I agree with the Powerline boys, uh, is in the New York Post coming from uh, Professor Jonathan Turley. I'll, Steve, don't go away. I'll get to you in a minute. I'll just give you, uh, I'll just give you his first uh, three sentences. Academics joined. Let's see. There's a sentence before that. Yes. For years, the media and government allied to treat anyone who raising a lab theory as one of three possibilities, conspiracy theorists or racists or racist conspiracy theorists, and he brings all the goods and all the evidence. Academics joined this chorus in marginalizing anyone raising the theory. One study cited the theory as an example of anti-Chinese racism and toxic white masculinity. There are a couple interesting philosophical questions as well. Why are we so much more animated about this than the study that came out on masks or the study that came out on natural immunity, which contradicted the, um, the 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 saint named Anthony uh, Fauci, and all that Fauciism and scientism represented. One, two. The story that I would like to see written is how come all of these three things, all of these three pieces of knowledge, many of us had as early as 2020, have been validated by impeccable research and study um, within. Two months of Anthony Fauci leaving office. I think that's worth examining. What did he know and when did he know it would be the question I would ask him. I believe that was the question. Uh, well, it was the question that emanated out of the Watergate hearings. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was first propounded by Fred Thompson, who was minority counsel on the Watergate hearings. Uh, D D David would know <laughs> if I weren't here. <laughs> David will correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, Stephen Tempe, you were talking about some of this and uh, the less hypocrisy. Uh, thank you for waiting, sir. Go right ahead. 
Yeah, no, where, where I was, what I was going to say to Seth was re- regarding, I, I don't think Donald Trump gets anywhere near the credit that he should get for calling things out at, prior to the, the damage that actually took place regarding this virus. I remember specifically when it was being determined what we should do about this virus and, and how how it was going to be dealt with. He, he flat out said, look, we can shut things down. We can shut down a, a very strong economy right now. But what, what's going to take place is there, there's going to be depression. There's going to be uh, increased drug use. Um, there's going to be, and he listed a lot of the things that actually did happen once that shutdown took place. And he did not want to do it. He went, he did it because he was going along with Fauci's recommendations and a lot of pressure that was coming down on him to do it. And he was right. And he turned out to be right. And, and what, what, what I was saying before you took the break, Seth, was regarding that, uh, that reporter, you know, she, you know, I was curious how the name COVID-19 came into, came into place and, and who, who named it and who... The World Health Organization. You know, China or, the, the World Health Organization. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that. But, you know, in that press conference, uh, Trump was calling it uh, the China virus. I remember that. that. One reporter said, yep. you know, just, call, just flat out called him out. She said, President, why are you calling this the China virus? And without even hesitating, I remember him looking at her and saying, because it, it's a virus that originated in China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember this very well. Right. Yes, you're bringing back a good memory. And, yep. Yeah. And so anyways, I, 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 I remember the pretzels that left twisted them into Kamala Harris's former uh, spokes, uh, former communications director went on new, uh, went on uh, one of the networks. I remember whether it was CNN, I don't remember or 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 MSNBC, uh, Simone. What was her name? Something Simone, Simone, something. And she said, what was it? Uh, it might have been Simone Sanders, something like that might have been. And she said, we don't we don't name diseases after the places they come from. And I thought, huh, yeah. which one don't we? Lyme, Ebola? I mean, I mean, we uh, on and on we do. I mean, it just it was the, the, the pretzels that we just twisted ourselves into to avoid saying the obvious, the bleeding obvious, you know? Yeah. Thank you, Bill. And, Simone and, and, Sanders. And, yeah. Yeah. And and. and I talked to you about this previous previously on a on a call way way back, but regarding regarding the the what he did in the process of trying to combat this by basically breaking down all the the barriers for these drug companies to go ahead and and cut through all of the the. Before we get to that, I'll I'll jump. I'll I'll do that with you in a second, Steve. Before we get to that, let me give you another memory of how much they tried to weaponize the racist charge against Donald Trump on that. Never mind Governor Cuomo saying it was a European virus. Do you remember the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, going to Chinatown and Nancy Pelosi out in San Francisco, going to Chinatown and telling people to come out and celebrate? We want to stand with our Chinese brothers and sisters. What, What? 
What kind I of do. inanity was that when only a month later they were telling no one to, could go out and be in public? I mean, you know, the, the, what, what they would jump, what hoops they would jump through to get to that golden calf of racism charge against Donald Trump, perhaps even putting people at public health risk at the time and doing so before we knew much about anything regarding congregate, congregate gatherings and transmissions. Boy, you couldn't you couldn't do a congregate gathering for Thanksgiving that year. I remember that. But if you could yeah. al- allege a racist charge against Donald Trump, come to Chinatown, come out and celebrate and whoop it up. Yeah. Anyway, I sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to complete that other yeah. memory from that 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 great period of time we all had to suffer through. Yeah, no, I, I remember all of that like it was yesterday. And I yeah, I do remember her and de Blasio you know, basically saying how, you know, you know, saying, come out. Yeah, come out and celebrate. Yeah. Chinese New Year. Yeah. I think it was a Chinese New Year. Yeah, yeah. that sounds right and, to me. That sounds right to me. I yeah. think it was. Yeah. And, yeah. And when Trump basically broke down all of the bureaucratic barriers for all these drug companies to fast track developing a, a vaccine for this thing. You know, Pfizer, you know, thanks them for, for the billions of dollars that they were going to, to, you know, that they eventually were able to acquire for their company through this by waiting until after the election. A week to, after the election. But, Son of a gun. Another yeah. interesting piece of timing, that? wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Just one more thing. And and uh, by so the way, you have to know this, you know, you, I, I, I anyone who works for a major company for that matter or a small company you have to know this if if they're going to release a product i don't care if it's a small product or a life altering world changing world historical product you know the launch date is known weeks in advance you know the i when they tell us oh we didn't time it to the election well could they have given us a hint maybe did anyone know about this or did all of a sudden within a week oh bam look what we just got let's rush it out to market Right. Yeah. Right. And I was I was skeptical at the time because, you know, I was thinking, wow, this is unbelievable. Cause they were saying that it takes it, it takes years to develop vaccines of, of the quality that they would need to, t- to get to to back this thing. And, you know, sure enough, they come out and they and they're, you know, Pfizer and uh, Moderna and all these companies are coming out. And they've got and they've got this thing. And, it, and it's like record time. And I'm kind of going, well, this is great, but, I mean, how effective is this going to be? And, and we're yeah, I don't out. want to hear anyone telling us that we political we politicized or politicalized this thing. No, we did not. We tried to depoliticize it. They politicized it. You've probably been hearing me talk about Y-Refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it means to invest with them, feel free to contact them at 888-Y-REFI-34. They delight in putting you in touch with any number of their many satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have happily been investing with them. And they'd like me to ask you how your IRA is doing as well. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or the Fed? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. 
Check them out at investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. The perversions of science, public health, they're rampant. Steve Hayward has this, the Fetterman question. Social media is awash right now with wild rumors about the condition of Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, who has been hospitalized for depression, a hospitalization that will apparently last a month or longer. We should await some facts or other kinds of confirmation before drawing conclusions about political calculations. But it is confirmed that his wife and children have fled the country to avoid media attention. Steve writes, I don't know much about treating what appears to be severe depression, a month in the hospital, but common sense would suggest the presence of wife and family is perhaps instrumental, if not at least recommended for treatment and recovery. No wonder the rumors are spreading. But even without the facts, he goes on, we can draw two conclusions. First, Fetterman was obviously not fit to serve in the Senate, and it was an act of cruelty for his family and Pennsylvania Democrats to make him remain on the ballot. Second, Our garbage news media refused to report on any of this. To the contrary, the one local reporter who raised Fetterman's fitness before the election was widely denounced by other media and threatened by Mrs. Fetterman. Sound familiar? Another emperor without another emperor has no clothes story to see how far the media was in the bag for the Democrats. Check out this disgrace of a headline from the Scientific American from October of last year, which is to say a couple weeks before the election. Here's the headline, Scientific American, because we follow the science, which would mean we follow Scientific American, right? Here's the headline. Bill, you'll like this. John Fetterman shows how well the brain recovers after stroke. Weeks before the election. First sentence, following a stroke, the brain's own repair processes can lead to a strong recovery in people such as Senate candidate John Fetterman. I guess I'll leave it there. I guess I'll leave it there. Of course, we wish him well. But when his chief of staff, when all we were told was how well he was doing and how there were to be no concerns, and his chief of staff reports that he's been struggling with depression for years, that was new information. That was new information two weeks ago. New information. What won't they do? What won't they put people through in order to simply prevent Republicans from taking office? And that's the thing about this. That's the thing about these studies, too, that we're talking about. The mask, the natural immunity, the virology lab. That's the thing. I know it's big news today. It'll be gone by tomorrow or Wednesday at the very latest. We'll be off on a new lily pad because of the crisis industrial complex about moving along. But we especially move along quickly when the left is thinking, let's just paper this under the rug and move on. Nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see here. And the problem with that is not the left wing bias of it. The problem with that is the is not the is not the refusal to accept some burden of responsibility some accountability the problem with that is not that we need you to admit you were wrong and we were right the problem is not that our egos are so strong we need the apology we ask for all these things for one reason really that is the most important of all reasons it seems to me anyway you tell me if i'm wrong which is so that the story gets accepted and appreciated by people, because I will bet you dollar to, dollars to donuts, sure as rain, whatever the expression is you want, 
I will bet you that tomorrow and Wednesday and a week from tomorrow and a week from Wednesday and a month from tomorrow and a month from Wednesday and a year from tomorrow and a year from Wednesday, there will be large swaths of the population, perhaps even the majority, that still doesn't believe this stuff if you say it. I mean, look at the comments at the Brett Stevens article on the uh, on the mask study. The comments at the bottom of the New York Times are saying they, they, they are already trying to whitewash it, saying he's misinterpreting the results. He's lying. Of course, masks worked. Well, where's your contrary study? They don't have one. They just know it to be true. And he has to be lying. We call it invincible ignorance. There is no level of data, no number of facts, no amassment of peer-reviewed research that will remove you from an a priori conclusion. You know, people wonder why I make such a point of quoting Hannah Arendt and saying in, in her line that there is nothing so strong as ideology. Look how strong it is. It literally has you denying fact so that you can tell people they're being non or unfactual. You deny fact in order to allege falsity. That's how strong ideology is. You can take a very unwell man, extremely unwell, perhaps not even in good family condition with the rest of his family that leaves the moment he goes into the hospital, leaves not town, not state, but country, where the whole thing is just one big sham. And we're supposed to keep going along with it. As if there's nothing special about any of this, as if there's, again, nothing really to see here. This is just the way we do it here now. And you wonder why I keep quoting that scientist from Chernobyl. It's a volume of logic. In three sentences, a volume of logic. What is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. That's what I'm describing. We cannot recognize the truth because God forbid, God forbid, a leftist narrative not be the dominant narrative here. God forbid, heaven forfend, that the leftist view of eve of destruction, end of the world as we know it, Systemic awfulness in this country, systemic awfulness from anything who or anyone that calls themselves a conservative is to be expected. Heaven forfend that ever take hold and become normalized. Heaven forfend. It cannot, we cannot allow it. That's why Vaclav Havel had it best. Truth is the greatest threat. The greatest threat to tyranny and lies, which is why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. I just didn't think we'd see it here. Not like this. Not in this day and age. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, and it is a delight to welcome back an old friend. It's been too long. I don't know what happened. I guess just time and uh, other things. But David Reaboy, he is um, the editor and publisher of the Late Republic Nonsense Substack uh, website, and you can follow him on his very active, highly active, and uh, both informative and entertaining uh, Twitter account, at Dave Reaboy, R-E-A-B-O-I. He is a national security 
media and political warfare expert. David, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it just dawned on me. It's been too long since we've checked in, so uh, I'm glad we are able to. Uh, speaking of Phoenix, uh, you, you you just came back from another desert and had a lot of eye-opening experiences. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure, I did. I just got back from my first visit to Saudi Arabia. Wow. Um, I was there for a week in, uh, in, in Riyadh for the Saudi Media Forum, um, where I went and I gave a kind of presentation on differences between uh, old media and, and new media. And it was a, a very interesting uh, group of folks, um, obviously focused primarily on, uh, you know, domestic Saudi media, social media, and, and, and traditional media. And, you know, all kinds of other things like uh, how, to, how to make, uh, you know, video games and, um, and, and different uses for AI technology and, and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but really, it was an it was an excuse for me to go there and see uh, firsthand what uh, some of these these changes that uh, many of us have heard about within um, within the kingdom over the last uh, yeah, over the last several years, almost almost a decade coming up. Yeah, I want to ask and, you about that. I, yeah. What the, what some of them are? Many of us didn't know an awful lot about Saudi Arabia. Um, other than in the 70s, it was kind of known to be the hardened hardened country that uh, represented so much of the power of OPEC. And then, of course, all kinds of things after 2000, sort of a closed society. How interesting that a society like that would host a forum on on things having to do with normative absolutes like journalism and free speech right? and, uh, and, and media, right? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that was – look, the whole thing was a – I mean, I'll say it wasn't a shock because I've been as someone who who follows the region. Yeah, you've been closely. tracking I've it a been, lot. I've been following your you tracking know, it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been tracking this for 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 several years now, and and uh, I think one of the lone voices really in in the West predicting um, what is going to happen. And really, when I went there, I was I was surprised because, um, and and I'm talking to you now, and and I'll be writing about it in the future, but. I think what's happening there is kind of of world historical importance, okay. and it's not to be um, it's it's not to be understated. And and um, and the reason for that, I think, is you know we hear stories about different parts of the Middle East, um, let's say, westernizing and becoming more open. Um, I don't want to use the word progressive; um, they don't use it. Um, and 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 I know that. You know, I know that over there they're sort of trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that happen with, um, you know, progressivism in the West mm -hmm. um, in, in general. But, um, you know, we've, we've seen this and we, we see, you know, a lot of headlines. You know, you have, uh, you know, men and women together dancing in, in some places where it was, it was kind of not allowed before. And, and people, uh, women especially, walking without head coverings. And, you know, that's the sort of... Um, immediate kind of visceral shock that gets reported in in in, in media. Um, you know that's a it's a very easy story to tell, and and I think that's great. But when you go there, you kind of realize that that there's something deeper going on. And I think what's what's super cool about it is that it's not made for Western consumption. So like this is not a publicity stunt because. Because primarily, what's happening is 
is a revolution in um, not, in, in, in Saudi society that's, that's really being driven by uh, by government policy. That's interesting. This was a short segment, David. I have a longer one coming up. I want to delve into that a little bit more. Let me take a quick commercial break. By the way, you listening to anything cool these days while, while I go to commercial break? Oh, my gosh. Well, I love the rhythm of the saints. <laughs> um, nice so, ear. Good ear. I knew Im- immediately. Good ear. So I'm going to have to go on back and listen to some Paul It's a Simon. great album. Yeah, great, great, yep. great. All right, David Riaboy is our guest. He and I will take a quick commercial break. We'll learn a little bit more about um, the reforms taking place in Saudi Arabia. And uh, don't go away. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. David Riaboy is our guest at Dave Riaboy on Twitter. R e a b o i is how he spells his name. National security, media, and political warfare expert. Just back from Saudi Arabia with uh, what sounds like a fairly eye-opening, if not a very eye-opening, experience. David, are the reforms maybe the word you, you didn't want to use the word progressive, and I, I I I I take I take your meaning on that. Maybe maybe the liberalisms, maybe maybe the liberalization of some of the um, cultural and societal mores there. Uh, are they driven from the top, the government? Are they uh, welcomed by the population? Are they driven by the population? The government is catching up. Is it a concert of all all of those all of those institutions? Uh, how, how would you say what what would you say was the catalyst for all this? Sure. Well. The most important thing, I think, to realize is that it's not cosmetic. And how do you know it's not cosmetic? Is because it's built on an intellectual foundation. So there's a concept in Islam, uh, Jaliyah, which um, is like the, let's say, I mean, it's just a lot of literature on it, but just to condense it down, it's basically known as the the time of ignorance or the time of barbarism, the pre-Islam days. And... Um, obviously, Islamists in particular have tried very hard over the last, you know, many, many decades, hundreds of years to erase the elements of pre-Islamic civilization where they're found. Mm-hmm. Because as the last revealed religion, according to them, everything else has got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so, for example, that's why you see, you would see in Afghanistan, the Taliban blowing up the Buddhist statues. The Bamiyan statues, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Not because, hey, you know, it's another religion that we don't like, but because this represents pre-Islam, and this is Islamic territory, and, you know, it's got to go. And so you you see that kind of all over, especially um, the Brotherhood, since the 60s kind of made that, they really kind of fetishized that, that concept, and they tried to erase everything that came before. So very, very strategically... And this is why, I mean, my mind was blown when I was there, is there's a massive effort going on in Saudi Arabia today to talk about the pre-Islamic history uh. and the pre-Islamic culture of, uh, of, of the region, um, which, which means excavating holy, you know, holy sites and, and, and different uh, you know, ruins by, by you know, folks who were there in the pre-Muhammad days. Or even, like I did, I saw the first, um, or one of the first, musicals was written by a prince, so it has sort of the ultimate authority of the state mm-hmm. um, that had that featured men and women on stage together singing um, and and the women had you know they covered their heads, but it was was very 
let's say very light with a lot of hair showing. Right, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? So, and, but, uh, just, but just to have this, I mean, this is a society where music was not a thing right. not long ago. Right. But, you know, music full stop. So what was the play all about? The play was all about the pre, um, you know, the, the history of, uh, uh, it was like, you know, 10 different poets from, from the, the, the days of pre-Islamic mm-hmm. Arabia. Mm-hmm. And, and it links and it linked them with the history of the Saudi state, the House of Saud, uh, from the 18th century on. Okay. So really, what they're doing is they're, it's a national project that is educational, and it really is a refounding of the country. And and speaking to that point, uh, we were there for what is called Saudi Founding Day, which just celebrates exactly this. And it's only the second year that it's ever been um, that it's ever been uh, been celebrated nationwide, which is a kind of big deal, considering that not long ago there were no non-Islamic Saudi holidays. That's now, so as a secular as the first secular holiday, yeah. Yeah. it's a big deal. Is the cultural transformation that's taking place there? reaching into other aspects. So for many decades, our relationship with Saudi Arabia was categorized as one of convenience um, because of their main export. But if you read the way I read things, things are liberalizing along foreign policy as well, such that it might be said Saudi Arabia is moving more into an alignment with Western views of foreign policy, Western alliances, or trying to. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that with the one reservation that um, today, you know, what <laughs> today Western views of foreign policy are um, are more in line with what's happening in Brussels and in London, and uh, you know. Uh, All right, let me try it a different way. Traditional American right. allies. How's that? Yes. Okay. Yes, good. <laughs> All right. right. Much better. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, much better. I'll tell you something else interesting. I spoke to a wide variety of people, from folks on the street to government ministers to shop owners to what have you. And everyone, every single person, after about a minute of conversation, oh, you're American, blah, 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 they say, what is going on with the gender stuff? Uh-huh, yeah. I'm yeah. I, Like, my joke was that, you know, MBS is probably on a burner account following the loop of TikTok. <laughs> Um, but, but that's basically where we're at, you know, and, and it reminded me of being in Hungary where it was the same question. You know, you speak to somebody for two minutes and they just say, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. What's happening? Like, yeah. are you guys imploding? Yeah. That, um, that, and, that's right. You know, that's right. I can, I can imagine the confusion that this isn't just creating in American children and the American youth psyche. I can imagine the confusion it's creating in societies that come from something called tradition. Right. They used to, um, after 9-11, the question was always asked, uh, why do they hate us? And there were any number of answers. One of the traditional answers was they hate us for our freedoms. It sounds like they're embracing some of them with the four-word caveat up to a point. You want to expand on that a little? Is that a fair characterization? Yeah. I mean, I think that's... um I think that's fair. I think the key part of that question, why do they hate us, um, the, the key question was isolating they. So yeah. Who is they in yeah. that question, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And and that was the one that, you know, that was the part of the question that they didn't really want to answer because a lot of the people who were asking that question back in the day, they already had an answer. Right. Um, you know, oh, it's our foreign policy, it's right. our, you know, it's our this, it's our that. Right. Um, as far as the larger point, um, yeah, look, I think everyone is aware, and, and the topic of conversation with serious people always comes up, which is how do you have a... 21st century power while avoiding the kind of capital um, you know, the, the, the capital H history and, and capital P progressivism that seems to be kind of part of the script with uh, with modernity and and and, uh, and, and the Enlightenment um, is there a way to um, is there a way to sort of short circuit that and say no we're going to we're going to keep some of these basic foundational things um, that will keep us sane and, and will and will keep the uh, you know the society in general from going off the rails. Um, and frankly, if anyone can figure out how to do that, uh, Saudi Arabia is uniquely well positioned to um, uh, to to get that done for a number of reasons. Let me I mean, take look, let me is, take a let me take a yeah. quick commercial break. We'll finish the hour with you if you have time for one more short segment. It of is course. super short, but we'll we'll uh, we'll put a cap on this and maybe even a bookmark uh, in, in the next uh, in the next segment uh, for further conversation. Uh, this is fascinating. We don't we don't see a lot of organic and internal reforms and liberalizations in countries we think of as hardened uh, or resolute or even theocratic and. I, whether it's the times and moving along with them, uh, or whether it's a combination of the times, the heart, and the head, and the ge- geopolitical politics that require it, um, it is certainly most welcome to hear. And uh, it couldn't come at a better time when what's going on in the Middle East requires a country like that to be closer to the United States, not farther. I'm Seth Leaps, and he's Dave Riaboy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. David Riaboy is our guest. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Dave Riaboy, uh, R-E-A-B-O-I. That's how he spells his name. And David, just a couple minutes, three minutes left here. Uh, anything more you want to say about what you observed in uh, this, uh, this, 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 this country, this kingdom that for so many people thought was, was just such a veiled place to visit, understand, get to appreciate Sounds like that veil is being lifted, and not by us, huh? Um, yeah, no pun intended. Right. Um, it's 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 a kind of amazing place to be. The other thing that I noticed there was that, and this is a point that we discussed, you and I, uh, I guess months or a year ago, um, about aesthetics, is that everything there is beautiful, and we in the West have this idea of let's say, uh, modernism, uh, modern buildings, architecture in particular, that is often so ugly, and it's purposely ugly in many ways. Uh, over there, they've seemed to figure out how to, how to seamlessly incorporate modernism with the environment and the history and kind of the scale of, um, uh, of, of, of the place and, and to create something that is mo- both modern and also respectful and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
I was I was amazed, and that's not that's not really a, a, a small thing, you know. I mean, maybe it's not something that you think about every day, but it could have gone the other way. Yep. I mean, here is a society that has plenty of money. Um, they could very easily have gone the route of, let's say, China, which has very, you know, or 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 uh, you know, or, or Russia, or or a place like that that has. Um, you know, that may or may not have money, but they'll go and they'll build something, and it's just a monstrosity yep. that is completely tasteless. Yep. And and I found that both the government buildings, but also the the private buildings, the homes, the um, the stores, the uh, the shopping centers, things like that, are just it's just beautiful. And the whole place is um, is sort of ready to welcome people. The the whole country is is kind of ready for Instagram. I would love um, to. Uh, I would love to spend more time with you on this. Keep us surprised. By the way, how's the pooch doing? Oh, he's doing well. He was. Uh, he he ate my passport this morning, so I think that's that's a sign. His way. Yeah. yeah, I think that's his way of saying no. You're not leaving for a while. Yeah, once a philosopher, twice an abandonment. Uh, did he? <laughs> was his first greeting to you anger or happiness to see you? Sometimes they're oh. a little standoffish because they want to give you a little what for. No, he was very he was very happy. Dave Reboy, you're a good friend. Thanks for telling us a little bit about your trip. Can we track it together a little more as time goes by? Absolutely. Thanks Song so from much. another Middle Eastern country. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> We're firing on all pins today. I'm Seth Leibson. Don't go away. We have a lot more coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.